book of 2 Kings chapter 22. We are going to be going through uh, several scriptures. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then the remainder of our message is going to be taking a journey through this particular set of scriptures. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Titus, he was your age when he began to reign the kingdom of Judah. Amen. And he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adea of Bozkath. And he did what was right, excuse me, he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left hand. Amen. And as I said, we're going to be going through the remainder of that particular chapter here shortly. If we feel comfortable in doing so, can we close our eyes and lift our hands? Once again, can we begin to lift our voice as a collective, as a congregation, as a family, in a body of Christ? Lord, we thank you, God, for your word and your truth, God, that searches our heart, that analyzes our heart, God, that refines us, that changes us, that alters us, God, to meet your heartbeat, God, to meet your mindsets. God, it changes and alters us, oh God, to meet your expectations. And God, I pray this morning, God, that you silence God, that you muzzle any distractions here in this sanctuary. And God, you speak to your sons and your daughters. God, speak to our heart, God. Open our ears that we may listen. Oh God, whatever goes forth, oh Lord, I just pray, God, it is written in the tablets of our heart, God, that it helps us build our memorials. God, that it helps us, oh Lord, trust that a testimony is coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Man, history has really had such a series of unfortunate events. There's times where we look back at our historical events and we think to ourselves, man, what were they thinking? We look at the various products that were offered to, to sons, to daughters, to children, to adults, and they were considered safe until science progressed and said, yeah, probably not the wisest of things. Sometimes you look back and you're like, man, what were the scientists thinking? What were the stores promoting? How on earth was this legal? Of course, it's illegal now, but there's times as human beings that we do things that we think are okay, but really harm us. There are things that we allow to happen that could be deadly. It reminds me of, you know, I've heard the stories and, and it is illegal now, and I believe that they've cleared most buildings. I know there's some that still have it, but Man, all our houses and our buildings were painted with lead paint. Man, I was even looking back at some vintage coloring books and painting books. They said they called it the lead painting book. Man, well, lead poisoning is not good. It's, it attacks your, your brain. You have brain damage. It's neurological damage. It's birth defects in children. Kids used to take the chips and, and eat it when the, ta- when the paint began to chip and This was authorized. How on earth was lead paint authorized in children's nurseries? Now, as time progressed, they realized, hey, this is poison. This is not good for children. These are not even good for adults. I don't even know who ever thought of that. But as it was shown, as it came to the realization that it was actually deadly and harmful, they stopped utilizing lead paint. And this morning, I like to preach this particular thought, the warning label. The warning label. Do we read it? Not necessarily. I know there was a story last year of somebody that 
had the bright idea of putting Gorilla Glue in their hair and lost half their scalp because they did not read the warning label. And you could guarantee because of that situation, they added, please don't put in your hair on the warning label because there's always the one, right? It reminds me of the, the bright idea back in the early 20th century when they actually put opioids in Coca-Cola. They put cocaine in Coca-Cola and doctors were told to promote it. Man, this is good. This will keep you going, right? And so I don't know who had the bright idea, but it came to the realization, yeah, opioids aren't good, especially if children are not drinking it, teenagers and adults. These, these things were allowed before somebody had the wisdom to study it out and realize that it was harmful. Uh, we know that the early buildings, the insulation was uh, used, they used asbestos. Asbestos was kind of like uh, what we had today for insulation. It was very fibrous. Um, it was kind of like uh, what they have now, but except those particular fibers would go and be breathed into lungs, and it would cut up the lungs. It would cause a type of cancer. It was in ships. It was in houses. It was in schools. Not too long ago, it was in some of the Colleen schools because those buildings were old. Asbestos was used as an insulation. But as time progressed, they realized you probably should not be breathing this. You should not be ingesting. You should not be touching it. You should not be doing any of these things because it is harmful. And it took somebody to say, hey, with the warning label, don't do this. Don't use it because it can't kill you. It can be deadly. But does everybody read the warning labels? Nope. I think about in 40s, 50s, 60s, even in the early 70s, smoking and drinking were in kids' shows. It was put out everywhere. I, I was reading a, a vintage article where it says, doctor approved, start smoking. So they realized lung cancer comes from it. With drinking comes cirrhosis of the liver. It could kill you. People still do it today, and there's a warning label, but they don't follow that warning label. It was promoted. It was in every... TV show back in the day, even cartoons. I think about Elizabeth I. Everybody has seen a picture of Elizabeth I. She looks kind of like a clown, Ronald McDonald. She was the daughter of Henry VIII, I am, I am. All right, and she was the queen of England at the time. She had to go, she unfortunately endured a bout of smallpox. Smallpox leaves lesions all over your face. And she had the rarity to actually survive smallpox. So as a result, they said, this is the queen of England. We've got to cover up her complexion. So you all have probably seen pictures where she has that white face paint and her hair is bright orange. And that face paint actually had lead in it and it had mercury. Mercury is a liquid metal that can go through your pores and poison you. And so as it was eating away at her face, they had to apply more. They even believed that it actually affected her cognitive skills of thinking and how to rationally make decisions. That's why she was a little harsh towards the end of her reign. But only if they knew, if somebody would have told them what you are doing is actually harming you and what you are doing is actually killing you. I think of, I, I never lived in this time, but DDT. DDT was an insecticide that they put over all the vegetables, all the fruit, it was blown into schools, and they say DDT is safe, but it was cancer-causing. It was car a carcinogenic until somebody said, this is not safe. This is deadly, and a warning was put out. A warning label was put on. Don't use it. It reminds me of Agent, Agent Orange in Vietnam. 
Tell me how this is safe where you have Agent Orange and it's dropped from aircraft and it kills Triple Canopy Jungle in 24 hours. How is that safe for soldiers and airmen and sailors to be bathed in it? Until somebody researched and said, this isn't good. And we have a lot of Vietnam vets that are having to deal with the consequences of Agent Orange. I mean, they were bathing in it because they were loading it on the aircraft. See, God has given us a warning label on things that affect us spiritually. It could harm us. It could detach us from his will. It could detach us from his blessing. And it can't kill us spiritually. I believe it said in Hosea that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And he says, you've rejected knowledge. I've rejected you. And so we are going to be looking at an amazing king, King Josiah himself. King Josiah was in the king, uh, in the kingdom of Judah. We know that at this particular time, the kingdom of Israel was split. The ten tribes in the north were in the kingdom of Israel. The two tribes that were remaining were in the, in the kingdom of Judah. Unfortunately, the ten tribes in the north were taken out by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And they were lost. They were put into captivity. And we come to Josiah a few kings, two kings before Nebuchadnezzar comes. We know what happens with Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Jerusalem is destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant is lost. But you have a Josiah. We have to understand that after Solomon, the kings really did not make very good choices when it came to the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. In the kingdom of Israel, there were not any good kings. Not a one. But in the kingdom of Judah, where we're going to meet Josiah here in just a moment, he was a good king. There was very few, but unfortunately, because of Solomon bringing in all those foreign women, a lot of these, idol these idols and these foreign gods were brought in and erected around Jerusalem and around Israel, and it cost Israel and Judah many times judgment. And so here came Josiah. At the age of eight, he took over. It said that he, he reigned 31 years, so an eight-year-old. My son Titus is eight-year-old. He took over the entire kingdom of Judah. Not you, Titus. Okay? But he took over Josiah at the age of eight. This was very normal in a monarchy. A monarchy means you have one ruler. It's a king. Okay? I remember, what is it, the Third Crusade in the 1100s. Uh, was it Baldwin V took over at the age of seven and eight as well in the kingdom of Jerusalem. Or excuse in the kingdom of Jerusalem during the time of the Crusades. It was normal. And, of course, you had a lot of people that took advantage of the ignorance of a child, the unlearning of a child. And so Josiah had a heart for God. And so, uh, Evan, if you don't mind reading, we're going to go verses 3 through 6 of chapter uh, 22. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying... Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. Unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. All right, at this particular time, Josiah is 26, year old, 26 years old. 
okay? So we know that he was eight when he took over. He was in his 18th year of reign, so he is 26 years old. I'm telling you, the house of God at this particular time, because the idolatry that was running rampant throughout Judah, it fell on the heart of Josiah to repair the temple. When you have breaches in the temple, holes in the wall, your temple, the house of God is literally falling apart. So Josiah put all this money together to build up the house of the God, to repair it, right? This is Solomon's temple at the time. He had that heart to make things right from what became desolate. How many times does God call us to begin to repair the breaches in our life? How many times that God says, I want you to invest like Josiah to the temple. Invest in your spiritual well-being. Invest in the house of God. I believe that we house the Holy Ghost, correct? We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God wants us to invest in the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the ones that are to take care of what God has bestowed upon us. But if we are not careful, we allow things we're not knowing it and interacting and applying things in our lives that can be detrimental, that can harm us. All right? Now, I know when I say the temple of the Holy Ghost, it's a physical body. But it's that spiritual lifestyle that maintains it. That's the investment that God is looking for. And there's some, there's some things in the physical he expects, correct? And so they're going through the parts that are broken in the temple. Evan, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. And so they come across something that had been lost for so long. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. You found what? The book of the law. Man, so it's sitting in one of the walls. It's sitting in these structures and these breaches. What happened to the children of Israel that the book of the law, right? The first five books of Moses, 613 laws that God commanded. How did it end up in rubble? How did it end up collecting dust? How did it end up in a breaches of the house of God? How did the children of Israel for so long discard the word of God? Go ahead. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Continue, please. Verse 9. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Next verse, which is amazing. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. So he ripped his clothes. That was that Jewish signing for mourning or in or repentance. And so jo Josiah, after he heard the book of the law, rent his clothes, realizing the state that he was in and the state that the children of uh, Judah were in. And there are many times that God allows that law to be read to you in whatever form or fashion, whether it's by preaching, whether it's by Sunday school, whether it's by your reading the word of God. And now God is expecting you not to rent your clothes, but rent your heart to him. God gives us a warning label. 
God allows and says, hey, these things are detrimental to you, and these things can be deadly to you. And so Josiah rent his clothes. There was no king before him that did that. David did, sure. Solomon may have, yes. But for these generations of poor kings, he rents his clothes. And so we're going to go to verse 13. Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. How many times do we inquire of the Lord after he tells us something? How many times is it revealed when you're having your daily devotional that God says, hey, there's some things you're going to have to refine in your life? How many times do we inquire of our God when our pastor preaches and it's reading your mail? Or I like to say he's come into your house, raided your fridge, and ate your cake. Coming right into where you are living in your place with God. God asks us to inquire of him. The word of God goes forth and says, hey, you're going to have to refine some things in your life to be right with me. You're going to have to refine some things in your life to be spiritually sound and healthy. Because if you are not careful, it will detach me from you. If you are not careful, it will be spiritually deadly. And so that law laid out all 613 laws in the Torah. All the things that God had prescribed to his people to keep them safe from those deadly things. It was a warning label. And God expects us, when those things are written to us, those warning labels go out to adhere to it. As I said, people still smoke and there's a warning label on the side. People still drink and there's a warning label on the side. People do a lot of things without reading that warning label and get themselves in trouble. And it is the same thing with apostolics, that it goes forth and the warning label's there, but they still don't listen or adhere to it. They forgot to rend their hearts. God asks us to rend our heart. Oh my God, check me, refine me, forgive me. I repent. And then God, show me. I inquire. God, show me the direction I need to be. If we are to be a church that thrives, this needs to happen. Sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's by the hour. Man, Lord, I could have had a better attitude. I could have treated that person a little bit differently. Amen. I shouldn't have operated in bitterness. I shouldn't have had resentment. Amen. So, the king inquires. Verses 16 through 20, please. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and have, hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Verse 20, please. Behold, therefore, 
I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Amen. So Josiah, who received the word of the law, he invested he invested into the temple. He invested into the house of God and discovered and rekindled something that was lacking. It was a warning label because the children of Israel here in just a second, you're going to see the things that they partook in. The things that they allowed to happen. The things that they applied in their life that was detrimental to their spiritual life. And Josiah, in his wisdom that God had bestowed upon him, that desire and that faith that Josiah had, I got to run back to the God of my fathers. I don't want to be like my predecessor. You understand that Josiah's father was actually assassinated. That's why he had to come in at, at eight years old. His, uh, his grandfather and his father, especially King Man, uh, Manasseh, man, that dude was evil. He brought in all these various disgusting gods of Canaan. And Josiah said, I don't want to be like the generation before me. I want to be the generation that worships God. And so in his wisdom, he rents his heart. He fell before God. And in addition to that, he inquired. So he went to a prophetess. Yes, there were prophetess at the time. Just like Deborah the great judge was a prophetess, and the prophetess uh, laid out the prophecy. And I'm sure God's like, man, it has been so long since somebody called on my name. I'm sure God was like, it's so long since somebody desired to have my precepts. You know that God got excited at the time. I'm going to use this prophetess. This is the most that she's ever said because nobody's ever asked. And so it laid out. You don't turn from your ways, I'll destroy you. And so chapter, chapter 23 is what I like to call the cleaning list. Josiah had a lot to do in Judah, in Jerusalem. And you're, when I read through these things, how, how on earth was this allowed to be to the city of peace, Jerusalem? How on earth was this allowed to be so close? It's because people did not read the warning label. And God gives us a cleaning list, but it's how do we apply it? So 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 4, it talks about Baal, or excuse me, Bethel. There was a cult that was actually created not long after Manasseh that resided in Bethel. And they worshipped Balaam, or Baal. And so he burnt it to the ground. Uh, chapter uh, 23, verse 5, it says that Josiah took care of idolatrous priests. He understood that if I've got to prosper in God, I've got to clean house. I believe it says somewhere that if you're delivered of a demon, you've got to clean your house. Otherwise, seven more come back. You've got to clean the house. You've got to clean your heart. You've got to purge because God gives a warning. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be close to me, if you want to act, operate in my intentions, you've got to clean house. And it comes by preaching. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It comes by the word of God. It comes by submission. It comes by obedience. And Josiah knew for the sake of his kingdom, he's got a clean house. Verse 7. Wow. The house of the Sodomites. The house of the Sodomites. He destroyed and killed them. They were a very radical group of those that worshipped Baal. They were male harlots that operated in the temple of Baal. So close, not too far from Jerusalem itself. And so he destroyed them. Amen. In verse uh, 7, 
He goes on to say that he destroyed the weaving of Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a female god of promiscuousness, sexuality, and fertility. Sitting there right in Jerusalem. He understood that he has to take down all these idols and these things in these high places. Otherwise, it will destroy his walk with God. What does God ask you to destroy? What has God challenged you to destroy? What has God had used our man of God to implement a change? Have we rend our heart? Have we seeked and inquired of God? And have we cleaned house? Amen. Amen. We know that in verse 8 of chapter 23, there were shrines. Shrines to Baal. Shrines to Balaam. Shrines to Astaroth. Shrines to all these various gods right at the gates of Jerusalem. Even the eastern gate itself, there were shrines. That eastern gate that led up to the house of God, to the temple of God. How? Because nobody listened to the warning label. If we are not careful, things are built in our life. If we don't pay attention to the warning label, which is the word of God. This was mentioned before, and now we see it in scripture. Verse 10. He destroyed and, well, he cursed, he cursed Topheth, which is the valley of Ben-Hunom. He defiled it. He cursed it. That is the valley where the children were offered to Moloch, and that's where their carcasses and their ashes were. It was called the valley of the shadow of death. It was the valley of hell, and he cursed that valley. Too bad his successors operated it again. Amen. Josiah continued on in verse 11. He destroyed the horses that were dedicated to the sun god. Because we have to understand, there's aspects of our life that are dedicated to things not of God if we're not careful. You see how this is a whole encompassing list that Josiah had to take care of. Verse 12, the Baal altars were on the roofs of Jerusalem. He threw them into the valley of Kidron. I thought that was pretty cool. But do we clean house when God tells us? Or do we leave things erected? The warnings go out. But do we leave them erected? Amen. Now, verse 13 kind of shocked me. He cursed and cleansed the hill of corruption that Solomon built. Solomon built. That was the Mount of Olives. The same Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet, that our Lord and Savior would ascend and one day will descend to. That hill became the hill of corruption that Solomon instituted. We had Moloch, Ashtaroth, Shemosh, which is another type of Moloch, Milcom. Also, in verse 24, he put away the workers of familiar spirits, wizards, witches, images, idols, and all abomination. When God shows us things that hinders our walk with God, it's repentance. Salvation begins with repentance. I mean, we proclaim Acts 2.38. Men and brethren, how are we to be saved? Repent. John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet ever, just said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is how salvation comes, is repentance. That is how we cleanse, we repent. Amen. And so Josiah cleansed when he got the warning label. And today, God wants us to analyze and refine our life because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants the best for us. I'm not talking the prosperity where I get a Cadillac and a mansion. I'm talking about I, I'm the best in him when I'm in his will. 
I'm the best in him when I follow his expectations and his precepts. If I want salvation, I've got to repent. And tonight and this morning, excuse me, is the day where we can repent and we could change and refine our life because revival's coming, but it's going to take all of us. Not saying that you have a, a giant idol at the gate of your house. I'm talking about what is in our hearts. God desires us to analyze. Is it, a, is it a, what was on the roof of Jerusalem? Is it bitterness? Is the idol in my valley, in my hill of desolation, is that resentment? Is it jealousy? God wants us to check these things because we're going to have individuals that are coming here broken and desiring God. But we've got to be just like the kingdom of Judah, a church that has made themselves ready, a bride that has made themselves ready. But we have to analyze. I've got to be the five wise, not the five foolish. Amen. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the successors to Josiah reinstituted all these things. And here came Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. And we live in a society that their perspective of Jesus is nothing but love. He accepts all things. We know that Jesus is love. God is love. That is true. But he is also the judge of the quick and the dead. But Jesus came to earth to love everybody. You're right. He came to the sinner. He came to the publican. He came to the unwanted. He came to the broken. He came and restored. He came onto his own people. But he gave them instructions and a warning label to be successful in his kingdom. He said every time that he, he performed a miracle or a healing or he forgave, he said, go and sin no more. If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. And he said, think not that I've come. In Matthew 10, he said, think not that I've come in peace or to bring peace, but a sword into variance. Because what God does is he scoops out and he refines and he whittles away and carves away the things that hinder us from him because he is jealous. If we want to be successful in this kingdom, if we want to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant, it is us analyzing our hearts. Or do we place our word in the breaches of our house? If we could stand to our feet, if I could get a musician, please. God loves us. He is a God of countless second chances. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. There is therefore no condemnation with them that are in Christ. And God wants you to run to him because there's shame in this place. There's condemnation in this place that people are dealing with. But there's love and mercy dominating this house. Don't let the things that you fight or the mistakes that you made in the times past hinder you from where God wants to take you. God is saying, I've shown it, run away from it, and I'm going to forgive you of it. If you have not been born again of water and spirit, this is your morning. If you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, as it says in Acts 2.38, for the remission of sins, this could be your morning. We are born in repentance, and it is a continuous process. God loves you, and he wants you to be in the shadow of his wings. Amen. Love is in the house. Mercy is in the house. Forgiveness is in the house. Grace is in the house. Second chances are in the house. And what it does is it reveals, he cleans, and old things have passed away. He's made all things new. And so this morning, God wants, wants you to run to his arms, his forgiving arms. 
Amen. To be the kingdom, to be the people that he wants and expects you to be.